Hello, and welcome to our podcast series Inside Impact Investing. My name is Rosa Veldmeijer. I'm fund manager at Triodos Investment Management. And together with experts from the field, I'm diving into current hot topics within the impact investing industry. Today's topic is the circular economy, which I will discuss with Nancy Bokken and Hans Stegman. Nancy is a professor in sustainable business at the Sustainability Institute of Maastricht University. And in her research, she focuses on closing the gap between idea and action through the development of sustainable business models, sustainable consumption, circular economy and the system-wide change. And Hans is Chief Economist and Director Impact and Economics at Triodos Bank and he's currently finishing his PhD on the topic of transforming economics for sustainability. A warm welcome to you both. Nancy, if I can start with you and let's uh, uh, start by setting the scene uh, right. Could you explain in a few sentences what a circular economy exactly entails? Yeah, thank you uh, for the invitation to the podcast. And uh, yeah, very nice to, to be part of it today. So I think, yeah, there's probably over 500 definitions, but I'll try to keep it a little bit simple. So a circular economy is an economy where we need to keep the value of products and materials as long as possible, but also with as little energy and carbon emissions uh, as possible. And you can achieve that through certain uh, loop strategies or resource strategies. So people often talk about slowing the loop or keeping a product as long as possible at as long as uh, value as possible. Closing the loops, which is in essence about recycling, narrowing loops, so using less material and energy per product. And I think the newest one is uh, regeneration. So yeah, also making sure that uh, the damage that has been done to nature can be restored. And also, um, yeah, using renewable energy to power this uh, economy. So it's quite a lot that needs to be changed. And Hans, do you agree with this uh, definition? I think what Nancy said, so slowing, narrowing, closing loops is, and, and regeneration is, is the core of it. If you look to resources, to material streams, because it, is it about resource transition or that? But if you take it from an economic perspective, it's, it's completely against the logic of our market economies. Because what we then want to do is not to keep everything as long as possible. No, we want to have the highest turnover as possible. So to make this happen, we also need, and I think that Nancy has done that also in her work, really think about the logic of markets and for us as investors also to how, what does it mean for investments? And it's getting quite fundamental. At least that's my take. But if you look, and hopefully Nancy can also say about it, I see a lot happening in the market that people talk about circular economy because it's already for a long time very hot. But really talking about the transition and what it, what it means and how difficult it is, that remains a very delicate conversation most of the times. And Nancy, what is needed to transform our current economic system into a circular one? I'm just wondering, is that a, like a technological or a financial or a behavioral transformation? Or do we need all three of them? Yeah, first of all, uh, building on what Hans said, it's basically about rebuilding our whole uh, economic system. So we're now dependent on economic growth in our economy on everything, basically. Uh, but this is not possible yeah, within a finite planet. So we see these effects on climate change, resource issues, et cetera, et cetera. So basically we'll either need to uh, yeah, decouple uh, this growth from environmental impact 
or we need to build an entirely new system, a new planetary organizing model almost, uh, that values nature and society above uh, economic growth and maybe even replaces it. So this is quite complex. So it's rebuilding uh, what we have been uh, building for many years. Yeah, and if you look at the micro level, what is needed? We yeah, we need a change in personal behavior. Uh, we need a change in business business operations, but we also need a change in policy. And of course, in, in Europe, we have the circular economy package as part of the Green Deal. So that is one example. But we also need businesses to follow and also behavior change. So part of it is technology, but we also need to level the playing field and understand uh, what what policies. Uh, are there for businesses and uh, make circular economy the way forward. So we all understand that this is the pathway uh, for business and also ourselves in, in society. And would you say that's also the main challenge, that we all need to change? We need all actors to change? Yeah, it's a chicken and an egg story. So people often say like, yeah, it's uh, the options are not available to us. And partly it might be true. So recently there was an investigation also on the deposit uh, system for plastic bottles and uh, aluminium recycling uh, points for aluminium cans and there's not enough. So first of all, the option needs to be available to us. So uh, yeah, we can build it into our daily lives, but we also need to be willing and aware uh, of the need to change ourselves and be willing to, to do those things, to recycle, reuse, make sure that we look after our products for longer, don't buy stuff we don't need. So there's also a lot of things that we need to do in our own uh, behavior as well. And Hans? Earlier this month, a new law was introduced or was adopted in the EU, the right to repair. Mm-hmm. And that means that European consumers will have the right to repair household appliances, such as mobile phones, but also washing machines, after the warranty has expired. This will make you happy, no? Will, will this do the trick? Um, I'm never happy to have repaired something because then it's broken first. But it's it's good to have a law in place that, that that makes it happen. It's not so black and white as it seems, right? And I think Nancy knows more about it. There was a, already a lot of rights for consumers to have things re- repaired, guarantees for up to two years. But it is about the enforcement of laws and also the transparency of companies that people understand how products work, that they understand their rights and that is in the end also enforced and easy to get uh, reparations of your stuff if uh, for instance if your tv can be repaired but it takes two months and you have to be two months without a tv i think a lot of people will buy a new one still and this is not covered but i, I want to go to, it is actually yeah. covered in the in the law that you need to yeah uh, the, the, this this so this is better so it was before so this is better yeah but we're still not there because a lot of people don't know yet hmm. But this is also a very little part of what needs to happen. Also last month, we had the circular economy gap report. Again, the gap was so only 7.2% of our world economy is circular. And the resources we used for the last five years are the same as how much we used the last century. So there needs to be done a lot. So I think this law, although it is positive, will not suffice in any way. It's about behaviors, but also about business imperatives If the main reason for a business is only to make profit and to have the highest turnover possible, then it leads to incentives that are not aligned with circular economy practices. So, so, And that's also why I want to also hear from Nancy where you are in the debate. 
Will technology help us and solve everything in the circular economy? Or should we also think about sufficiency and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm more in the in the second uh, camp, I would say, of the behavior change and uh, sufficiency uh, focus. We actually just published a study this week on slow fashion and whether you can still make a profit uh, through slow fashion. And uh, in that study, we actually found uh, that there's a lot of profit drivers as well as cost drivers for slow fashion businesses. So that, to me, was very encouraging. So. You can do things at the level of the product, uh, the services uh, that are offered, but also if you, if you have a more locally uh, integrated, vertically integrated, small batch on-demand uh, supply chain, that can also save a lot of costs. Yeah. So for us, it was quite uh, revealing that even slow fashion is possible at a profit. So we see that as very encouraging to also investigate this in, uh, in other sectors and across different, uh, yeah, maybe customer segments as well. So. Because the, maybe to understand it, the earnings model of those companies is less dependent on higher turnover because they have vertically integrated their supply and they have a different earnings model then. Exactly. And probably also a different relationship with the client, right? So long-term relationship. Exactly. So for instance, um, yeah, also in the furniture industry, there's also examples uh, of companies that, that have that slow fashion model so they might have fewer stock keeping units, uh, so a very uh, yeah, smaller segment of products. So uh, products are often trans-seasonal, so you don't have to buy something new every season. They transcend uh, years as well, so they're also uh, not subject to the latest fashion fads. So there's a couple of things uh, that happen in these collections that make it easier to also optimize the chain, optimize the design. So you're not optimizing for yet another thing, but you're optimizing the production process uh, between a more stable number of stockkeeping units. So in that way, you can optimize much more, but you need to be more clever, I would say, and uh, and have a different uh, model and different mindsets. But there's more and more uh, companies and also customers that don't want this fast fashion model in any of the sectors. So we see it happening in furniture and clothing, electronics. So to me, that is, uh, is very encouraging uh, to see that it comes from both the customer, but also the business side. Does this also link the same way to Tridel's impact strategy? Is that how? Yeah, I think that's what we... Uh, take the example of fashion, eh? what we decided a few years ago, looking at the fast fashion industry. And if you have a sustainable strategy for your for your impact funds, it is hard to combine it, to say we have fast fashion, H&M or Inditex, and we were invested in them. And we were looking at the supply chain and living wages in the supply chain, which is also about sustainability. But the core of the business model was everything what is not circular economy. Yeah. And then we decided a few years ago that maybe... It is not a good idea to stay there. Although when we had that decision, we said, yeah, but hopefully those companies can change, but our power, so our money is not strong enough to get that change done because it's the core of the business model. And I think that's in terms of investment strategies, you can engage for a long time and you can stay somewhere where you see that it is possible to change a business model. But in this case, it was so hard to do it. So for the investment part it is impossible on the other side on our banking side of course we have a lot of slow fashion companies that we finance so i think it's it's what we do as triodos bank so broadly speaking so not with our somewhere at some places like on the listed side we say yeah this is very hard to get there 
On the financing part, on the bank financing, it's different, I think. I understand fast fashion is a collection, a new collection every week. So in order to change that, that would take time. But still, are there investment opportunities in the listed space that yeah, are we, we have We have some which are better. I think like Nike is a little bit better than real fast fashion. But it is still a compromise, I would say. So that's also why we still engage with them and try to improve there. And that's not something to be afraid of. Eh? So, so you can say, you can sit on the sidelines everywhere and say, so my hands are clean, but then you have totally no impact. And I think what we do as Trillers Bank is to, to have a compromise there that we say, okay, some things are really too far away and some others, yes, we try to stay and try to have impact there. And that's what we do. And do you agree what Nancy was saying earlier that the biggest challenge is the behavior change we need? Yeah, I was looking into, it's a different story, and I'll make it short. If you look at what Keynes said in 1930, he said uh, people can work 15 hours in 2030, so 100 years later, because there will be a lot of prosperity, but they can do it only if they can tame their insatiable needs. So if they can go without more. And he was right in a lot of things. So we, we are, he said, four to eight times richer. We are almost five to six times richer in the Netherlands. We work less, 20% less, but not 15 hours because we are very materialistic in how we view well-being and how we view prosperity. And that makes it hard also in terms of circular economy. If people still go shopping on a rainy Sunday afternoon for nothing to buy stuff that they don't need... It's very difficult to get a circular economy. And I think that's what, where we are. And also one thing that makes it hard in terms of policies, because what we always say as economists, it would help to price externalities, has to, to make fast fashion much more expensive. But then you have a political problem because people don't accept. And I think that's where we are. So behavioral change, as an economist, I think you need incentives, price incentives to get there, but that's politically unfeasible at the moment. If I may add to that, I think it's many pieces of the of the puzzle there. So uh, there's an exploration of what a future society, uh, not only a circular economy, but also a circular society might look like. So there's also experiments in businesses with shorter work weeks uh, and even... Yeah, in cities, there's experiments with people uh, owning less uh, and sharing and those types of things, even yeah, exchanging carbon emissions with each other, so uh, on a personal basis. And also there's uh, researchers investigating the new aspirations uh, in life. For instance, uh, yeah, work by Tim Jackson and, and others is more about uh, yeah, how we should spend our leisure uh, time exactly uh, like what Hans said. Should we go shopping or should we spend more time in nature with a family and friends? So the so-called low-carbon uh, activities. And that all works together, right? So if you have slightly less income because you have a shorter work week, you also have more spare time that you can spend uh, on other things that maybe cost less money. And on the business side, it's about experimenting with different types of models. So you mentioned examples like H&M, maybe IKEA, like the bigger businesses, they are experimenting with circular models, but they're part still of a largely linear proposition. So policy might help to move it more quickly. But I think this is where maybe not necessarily banks or only banks, but this is where support is needed with, uh, yeah, with the experimentation of those uh, circular models. Yeah, and I also wonder, I mean, we don't even go shopping on a rainy Sunday afternoon or we stay at home 
and we sit behind the laptop and, yeah. <laughs> and buy stuff on the internet. So we, we can go for a walk during the day and do the shopping in the afternoon of in the evening behind the computer. It's also not, not very helpful. <laughs> and then see, where do you see the role of the financial sector in enabling this transition to circular economy? Yeah, there's a, a couple of roles. So I think uh, the first one, but I think this counts for any organization that invests in something is a divestment from fossil fuels. So divest from fossil fuels and invest in yeah more circular propositions. And then risk is often mentioned as a reason not to invest in uh, new areas. But I think similar to the other big multinationals, also companies in the financial sector need to explore new models rather than exploiting the same financial model. But I think Triodos is an example of a bank that is already doing that. Then the whole circular business model transition, especially service models like rental and lease, need capital investment. And some companies like Philips or Signify created their own uh, capital investment uh, branch to uh, actually provide for that financial mechanism to finance a service model. But I think this is also where banks uh, could jump in and provide the financing mechanism because this is not all risky because it has quite predictable income when you have rental or lease. Yeah, you could also look at uh, loans, uh, for instance, and then yeah, also giving credit discounts or other incentives for those companies that are leading in terms of circularity and sustainability. And also when you have big infrastructure projects that you might invest in as a bank or maybe in a different sector in agriculture, make sure that it's circular, regenerative, etc. So also, yeah, financial services needs to reinvent itself and see like what are all the branches in uh, yeah wholesale, retail, um, any type of banking uh, where we can reinvent ourselves. So it's also the the business model of the financial services needs to be reinvented and experimented with. So, and then Hans, zooming more into the investment side, how can investors play a role in financing circular businesses? Yeah, I th- these models. Yeah, I think what we see now is is more or less three kinds of approaches. I think on the lowest level, it's it's mostly risk mitigation, also from an investment perspective. How can you exclude risks that has to do with resource insecurity? Uh, what we call linear lock-in. So, so how can you scan your portfolios and say, but this is completely not circular. This is linear. This is a risk. I think that's what a lot of asset managers are already doing in their strategies. But they don't have a particular ambition on on driving a circular economy. So this is the lowest level. On the second level, and I think that's also what you see also on the listed side more, is circular as as part of a of a strategy. So say we have the energy transition, we have circular economy like we do. So we have different elements, different transitions that we want to uh, accelerate. And one is the circular economy. So you invest in those companies that are part of a circular economy that have that as their own strategy and you try to invest in them, either on the listed side or with private debt and equity. That's also what we do currently, also with different funds, also in emerging markets. We have some projects where we invest in a circular economy. The third level, which is the most difficult one, is really to try to experiment with different business models. How can we have different financing structures that are needed, like Nancy said, to scale up those new initiatives? And I think that's a little bit what we do on the private side of our business. So we have some examples of innovative businesses that do different stuff in a different way. Also on the banking side, we have 
some of those examples on the listed side, it's almost impossible because they are not listed. Yeah. That, that's all new. That's yeah, this. it's only a very small part of the business. Sometimes it's a part of yeah. the business, but it's for me in this, the second line of the strategy. So you finance a business, a company that has part of their own strategy to accelerate uh, the circular economy. And it's in their risk model, so you, you can invest in them. And on the banking side, and I think that's also an important addition to what Nancy said, in a circular economy, you have more dependencies in your value chain because you have resource dependencies that you want to manage in such a way that it becomes more efficient. So what we try to do there more and more is also to collaborate with different partners in that value chain and also in terms of financing and also in terms of risks. How can you share risks new risks that come across in the circular economy and how can you play there a role as a financial institution. And that's more happening, I think, on the banking side than on the investment side. And Nancy, hearing Hans speak, what do you think should be done to make the circular economy more investable? I think I mentioned a couple of them already. I think the, the first one is the policy enablers. So it should be clear to all companies and all sectors that circular economy is the way forward. So uh, that uh, product lifetime extension, recycling and recyclability uh, get encouraged uh, that things are regenerative. So there's a lot of aspects that can be encouraged uh, by policy and circular economy policy in Europe is starting to do that. I think there's a key role for business. So uh, businesses to develop uh, the right propositions for the right uh, customer groups. So not all people would want to have some kind of service or rental or lease model. So there there needs to be different propositions uh, that needs to be tested for different customer groups uh, to find a suitable way to entice them to, to go for circular options. And then finally, also demand from individuals and also awareness uh, by individuals and also putting pressure on the market by demanding things that are reusable, recyclable, upgradable, uh, have good warranties, etc. So I think to me, they're all interlinked. So we cannot expect one <laughs> to wait for the other because uh, yeah, there's not enough time for that, basically. So. Yeah, there's still a long way to go, unfortunately, to move from linear to circular. Hans, when do you think we can reach a tipping point? Um, someone gave me a remark last week that it's impossible to predict a, a, a tipping point. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, especially a tipping point. Um, but if you look back, I think circular economy has been around, at least in the new version, a little bit more than 10 years. Uh, so when the Ellen MacArthur Foundation started producing reports and together with McKinsey and say it's a business opportunity. So that's uh, there's a whole discussion of decades uh, back on, on circularity, but this, this new version of discussion. And you can be very negative about it's not scaling up, it's going too slow, like I said, it's completely not circular. But on the other hand, if you see that we have, like you referred to, things getting into law, Uh, We see a lot of businesses busy with it. People understand it better. Resources are increasingly strategic consideration also because of resource uh, scarcity. So it's getting more and more mainstream. So when I'm in a positive mood, uh, let's say I'm today, um, then you can say, okay, this is scaling up and this is going faster. So we can reach a tipping point. It's, It's not that every company should talk about circularity and It should, in the end, will it be a success, also be the best possible business. And of course, it helps if consumers change behavior and if we get rules in place. But in a positive way, if we 
can do it in a better way, like we see, and we see a lot of entrepreneurs and also a lot of bigger companies working on it, maybe we can come to a tipping point in the next seven years. Uh, this is That's my positive move. That's quite, quite specific, uh, yeah. Hans. Yeah, so 2030, <laughs> yeah. So 2030, ah, yeah. right. That's where the seven six, years... Six, six years. Six years, even. Yeah. <laughs> now, ending with a positive note also from your side, uh, Nancy, w- what would be your circular economy dream come true? Yeah, when you look back historically, and that's also what Hans said, uh, circular economy is something of all times, like stones for houses and everything have been reused over time, but we sort of forgotten it. We, we have some kind of amnesia phase uh, the last decades that we started this linear economy. So basically, uh, I hope we will soon laugh about this existence, this temporary existence of this linear economy and that circular economy and society has uh, become a fact. So products are reused, recycled, uh, nature is being regenerated. So yeah, um, nature and society will be valued over economic gains and that we will have found this new model. So Basically, we have come to a realization that uh, yeah, this linear economy is actually ridiculous and uh, has come to an end. So that will be my circular dream, that there's a circular economy and society in, in practice. And uh, hopefully that tipping point can be reached uh, quicker than, uh, than maybe even predicted just now. Quicker than six years. Wow. That would be, that would be something. And, and, and one last question from my side, this slow fashion paper that you referred to, is that publicly available? Yes, that uh, can be shared. It just came out uh, today. So it's about... Uh, oh, very yeah, fresh. Tro- yes, so it's very <laughs> topical. So uh, well, <laughs> it can be shared uh, later. So it's about the uh, yeah, profit drivers in, in slow fashion, basically. So, uh, oh, wonderful. Written okay. with someone who has worked in the fashion sector for many years and uh, is now launching a new slow fashion business based on uh, the insight, actually. So she was really inspired. So while doing the study. So that's the best way when uh, academic research also becomes practical. And Yes, way. yes, yes, certainly. Well, thank you for sharing that. And we've come to the end of this uh, episode. Thank you for listening uh, to this session. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify to make sure you don't miss any update. And as always, we are happy to hear your feedback. Until next time.